0: you chew on that amen but I'm very excited about it I'm very excited about the options that are being presented and uh, I think it'll be really really good for this church amen uh, the men are having a grill out in Wisconsin Rapids this Saturday uh, July 17th it begins at noon uh, that is at the church correct Brother Bryce Church in Wisconsin Rapids. Uh, It is on the website now. Thank you for (laughs) getting that to me. Uh, So uh, just look at events on the website. It'll give you all the information on that, as well as the men's conference scheduled for August 19th through the 21st. Uh, If you're a man, please avail yourself of that. If you're a woman and you want to be a man, uh, come talk to me first. We'll talk. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand. God is continuing to do great things in our midst. Amen. Let's call out to the Lord tonight. Again, He has a plan and a purpose for the service and for each and every one of us being here. Amen. We're not here by accident. Uh, we may think that we just—I didn't even think that my first service—but uh, there are those that just kind of wander in. They kind of try everything else. Let's try this. Well, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's part of the plan. It's—it's not—it's not us coming to the Lord. It's the Lord drawing us to Him. Amen. And so I am so thankful for His mercy and His grace tonight that he has drawn us to the house of God here this evening. Amen. Let's remember uh, all of the needs that we're praying for, uh, needs of healing, needs of salvation. There's, There continues to be a lot going on, and I expect that that's probably not going to slow down anytime soon because we're in a fearful, fallen world, aren't we? And bad things happen sometimes to people. It's just the way life works. That's where we live. Uh, but God is always good. He's always gracious to us, merciful, and so very kind. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask him to bless our service, uh, meet these needs that we've been praying for. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. Thank you so very much for this opportunity you've given us this evening to enter into your presence. What an awesome, awesome privilege you've given each of us to come into the very throne room of God. To experience you in person. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for you, for your so great salvation, for the mercy and the grace that you show us each and every day. Hallelujah, Jesus. These needs that we've been praying for, I pray that you would move miraculously, wondrously, mightily in each of these. Demonstrate once more, Lord Jesus, that you do still intervene in the affairs of men. That you still are in control of all things. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray for our service this evening that you administer according to your perfect will and according to our desperate needs. Above all else, Lord, that you have grant and mighty name would be glorified here this evening. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you so much. God bless you. You can be seated this evening. Amen. We're going to continue our study on spiritual warfare. Uh, today we're going to be talking about spiritual authority. And <clears throat> there are two sides to spiritual authority. There is submission to authority, and then exercising authority yourself. And the exercising authority is, is fun. I like talking about that. That preaches well, and it's It's exciting and it's positive and it moves us forward. But the submission aspect of it is always a little bit difficult. Especially for the pastor. And in past, I've, I've preached on this topic uh, several times and always exhorting it. I mean, when you're, when you're just a guy in the congregation like I was, I wasn't. I didn't have a position. I mean, you know what I mean when I say that. I scrubbed toilets. I, I swept the, the sidewalk. You know, that, that was my job. And and I didn't have any real position. I didn't have any real authority in the church, or certainly no one under me. Uh, I was the guy under people. And so when I was asked to speak about something, and, and eventually I got a chance to talk about this, it was easy. You need to submit to your pastor. You need to submit to those in authority and, and God will bless you for that. Cause I, I didn't have any authority. I, I was, I was, I, I was under everybody. But when you, when you, uh, when God gives you more and more authority, titles, positions, however you want to say it, uh, then it becomes a little bit harder to, to talk about that subject. And so, Unfortunately, that's, that's what's been given tonight, so I'm, I'm gonna talk about it. Just, I pray that you receive it in the spirit in which it's intended. Amen. Because I, I can promise you this. When you do submit to authority, God blesses you. And we cannot have any authority ourselves until we first submit to authority. If we want to exercise authority, certainly we want spiritual authority. Uh, there are those that have no desire to be way up there, you know, uh, with all that kind of position and authority, and that's fine. That's great. But every one of us should be desiring spiritual authority, exercising God's authority uh, in his behalf uh, in the spiritual realm. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, but that requires submission, In all areas. Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 13 states this. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. That dynamic is very important. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And a servant was healed in the selfsame hour. I also want to read Matthew chapter 10, verses 1, and then skipping down to verses 5 through 8. Matthew 10, chapter 1, begins with this. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Skipping down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth, and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Amen. As stated, there are two components to authority, submission and exercising. Submission to authority, and maybe before we begin, I should, I should, uh, just point, One thing out, and that is how seriously God takes authority. It's a very serious thing with Him. And we're gonna see examples of that as we go through the lesson. But just keep in mind, uh, this isn't, this isn't an optional thing for the Christian. This is not something that is, uh, Well, let me just say it this way. It's absolutely serious to God. He takes it extremely seriously. And when we start messing with it, and when we start coming up against authority, and we start rebelling against authority, we're in a very, very dangerous position. A very dangerous spot. Acts 9, 3-5 through 5 says... And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined about round about him a light from heaven, speaking of Saul. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, if we looked at previous verses and previous chapters, we would find that Saul is not persecuting Jesus at all. He's persecuting the people who claim to belong to him. He's persecuting the church of God. And in his mind, he's doing it for all the right reasons. Because this cult is against Scripture. It's against the Mosaic law. It seeks to undermine everything that I've been taught. Everything that the law of Moses teaches, it's got to go. Jesus claims to be God. No way. Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to crush it. And he put everything he had into crushing that thing. But on the way to Damascus, he meets Jesus. And Jesus says something very peculiar. Why are you persecuting me? We need to understand, when something happens to you, God takes it personal. It's personal to him. It's coming against him. That's how he sees it. When someone comes against his church, he sees it as a, a personal attack against him. Why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He didn't say one word to Jesus. But Jesus takes it very personally. File that away. Matthew 25 verses 34 through 45. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, and the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto him, unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. And shall so they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? And shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. So again, We see that the Lord identifies with His people. He identifies with us. When something is done to us, it's just as if it was done to Him. When something is not done to us that ought to be done, He sees it as something that was not done to Him. Okay. Moving on. We're going to put all these together here in a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 3 through 8. It's a lot of scripture. But scripture is good. And his sons walked not in his ways. Talking about Samuel. But turned aside after Lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. That all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel under Ramah. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old. It's not a nice thing to say. And thy sons walked not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel rightly so, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, where if they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Okay. So we see here, Samuel kind of takes it personally. But God is telling him, no, you're not the one being rejected. I'm the one being rejected. Okay, moving on. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath not he spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Okay. I kind of took a circuitous route here. We saw in the beginning verses that When something happens to God's people, he takes it personal. We see in later verses that when something happens to his servant, specifically, he takes it very serious. I first discovered this principle as a relatively new convert. And I discovered it the hard way. I'll tell you a little bit about it. I was tasked, I'm not going to tell you who the pastor was, what the church was, anything like that, but you'll get the point. I was tasked with a certain thing from the pastor. He wanted me to do something, and I told him, yes, I'll do that. And that was fine for a while, but it was something, well, that would be okay, Uh We were taping the services and putting them over uh, a uh, public radio type TV station. It was a free public service thing. And the church I came from would not have done that. It was a very, very conservative church. And so uh, I started having a problem with it. But what I did was... I started telling people how wrong the pastor was in doing this. Yeah, good idea, right? And even better, I didn't talk to the pastor about it. I just stopped doing it. Because God will bless me, I'm living up to my convictions. Well, let me tell you how the story ended. You probably know. Not well. Not well and rightly so. Ah, that was not pleasant for me. When he called me into the office and had a talk with his his person there. After I got out of the office, I was devastated. I was, uh, that was very hard to receive from me. I had no idea about any of this, and I find out, man, I literally did every single step of the process wrong, everything, I I nailed every one of them. After that, I did a little study on this stuff, and I discovered that I was in a very dangerous spot, and it was God's mercy that the man of God called me in and set me right. Now we can argue whether he did it right or wrong. <laughs> I still, anyway. The point is, he did it. And thank God for it. I thank God all the time for that. For that mano y mano. It was good for me. I did a little growing up at that point. And the end result was, I understood much better about spiritual authority. I understood the consequences Of coming against spiritual authority. Because here's the thing. Like God told Samuel. God invests men and women with a measure of His authority. We all understand that. God has inherent authority. He has all authority because He's God. No one delegated that authority to Him. It's His by right he can then turn around and delegate a portion of that to you. We'll talk about what we do with that later. But he delegates that to people whom he will. When I decide as a child that I don't want to do what dad says, because the old man is crazy, he has no idea what I'm going through, and I'm going to do it this way, because obviously I know better on the child. And so, I just came against parental authority, right? God gave that man authority over me. He didn't take it. It was given to him. And it's my job to submit. I'm not submitting to a man. I'm submitting to the authority God placed on a man. Okay? Now, all things considered, I had a pretty good dad. I mean, we can nitpick and and there's no perfect parent. We all understand that. You weren't. I'm not. Our parents weren't. Okay? And kids, you're not going to be either. <laughs> so... <laughs> Amen. (laughs) Don't look at me like that. (laughs) But, I did it again. Moping, walking back up to my notes. God gave them authority. Yeah, so, Sister Parker always brings me back Okay. Take all the help I can get. Um, God gave that man authority. Okay? And even if he didn't always handle it properly, he didn't do it perfectly. He's still the authority. And it's my job to submit to that. Now, when we start nitpicking authority, Ah, They're not doing it right. They're not doing this right. They made this bad decision. They're they're off over here. What we're really saying, to a greater or lesser extent, is, God, I think you made a mistake here. And giving that man authority. Okay, now we're not going to come out and say that, because when we say it, it sounds really stupid, doesn't it? God doesn't make mistakes. We get that. But our actions say otherwise. Maybe he is doing stuff a little bit off. But he's the authority. Do you know what submission is? Do you know what submission really is? It's doing what he tells me to do even when I disagree with it. That's what submission is. I can, if we're, if we're like this, that's not submission. I'm gonna do that anyway. I'm in perfect agreement with that. Now, hopefully, that's generally the case. It's good to be in agreement. How can two walk together except they be agreed? But, when I disagree with the man of God or or the authority that God placed over me, I submit, I defer to him. And if he's wrong, God will deal with him. If I come against that authority... Now God's going to come after me, even if I'm right, even if I'm doing it the right way. I'm still wrong, because I disrespected God's authority. Okay? we got to understand, submission isn't always easy, and it's certainly not popular today. (laughs) <laughs> I could go on a long time about that. If the, world's, if the world's propagating something, promoting something, it's probably not something we should be involved with. If the world hates it, man, now, now it's something I want to look at. Now it's something I'm interested in. God's authority is, is we need to recognize authority in others, and we need to submit to it. Rather than finding out who I'm in charge of, I guess that's important too, we'll talk about that later. The first thing we need to find out is, who should I be submitting to? Who should I be putting myself under? That's the most important thing for the child of God is to recognize, who am I under? That's our umbrella. That's our protection. And when I step out from underneath authority, I'm exposed. And so are you. We can't step out from under spiritual authority. They hold the office, they hold the position, they hold the authority, they hold by the will and the design of God. God decided to delegate that authority to him. He delegated authority to our president? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. He did. Do I think it's a mistake? In my flesh, yes. I do think it's a mistake. But in my spirit, I understand something about spiritual authority. I understand God delegated that authority for a reason. Maybe it's just so he can come back quicker. And I'm okay with that. I am fine with him coming back sooner. The authority they exercise is not theirs. It's God's delegated authority that they're exercising. It's God's authority. God takes his authority very seriously and he doesn't delegate it lightly. He delegates it on purpose. He delegates it for a reason. The measure of authority that he delegates is measured out perfectly. No more, no less than is necessary. Now this goes both ways. Submission to and the exercise of authority. We need to recognize authority. Authority. When we're in submission, we have got to place ourselves under that authority and be in obedience to God. We've got to. There is no getting around that. If we don't do that, it's like the uh, it's like the wild horse, the wild bronco, out there in the field running around. Looks beautiful. He's free. He looks great. It's nice and romantic. But he's useless. All he does is eat my grass and. Goes all over my field. That's all he does. He doesn't do anything useful. But when the horse is broken, and in submission to a a human being, now he's useful. Now he can produce. Now he can do wondrous things. And that's the same with you and me. Until we're broken, until we're submitted to God, we are useless in His kingdom. We can go off and we can do our own thing and it looks looks great, looks romantic, looks I'm doing it my way, I'm doing my thing. But you're useless. You're not doing anything eternal. You're not doing anything spiritual. I promise you, you're not. It might look like it, but you're not. At the end of time, it's all going to fall apart. It's going to burn. We can't do anything for God until we've submitted to God. After we've submitted, after we're in obedience to God, to His plan, to His will, now God can start elevating us. He can start exalting us in His kingdom. He can start delegating to us a measure of authority. And when we handle that well, He can give us more. And that's how the kingdom of God operates. You're not going to come in as a new convert and start pastoring a 5,000-man church. You're not going to come into the you're not going to come into the church today and tomorrow be the presbyter of section four. It just isn't going to happen, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. We've got to we've got to understand God's authority means an awful lot. It's so important to to, to get a hold of this idea, this this concept of spiritual authority, and at the end of it, we're going to understand why. Because we're talking about spiritual warfare, right? We're talking about warfare. And to conduct warfare, we're going to need God's power and we're going to need God's authority. We're going to use that to conduct warfare. But first, we've got to be submitted. When we join the army, I highly doubt Brother Parker joined the army as a sergeant major. That would be kind of cool, uh, but it doesn't happen. When I joined, I didn't have any college credits at the time, so I was a private E nothing. I get to, I get to start at the bottom. Whee! That's a good time. But as you gain experience, as your superiors see that you're submitted to authority, that you know how to obey orders, that you know how to do what you're told, follow instructions, now we can trust you to do a little bit more. And when you're faithful in that, now we can trust you to do a little bit more. And that's how it works. When we're in authority, we're expected to exercise that authority in the fear of God. When we're in authority, God gives that to us for a reason. Okay. There are some, uh, this, this is the usual case. You know, someone gets a, a little bit of authority and it goes to his or her head and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're, you got to do what I say. And uh, we always preach about that. But then on the other side, equally dangerous is the person that has authority, but is afraid to use it. They're afraid to do anything with it. And that's not good either. God gave that to you to be exercised, to be used, just like every other gift, every other talent, every other spiritual gift. He gives that to us to be used, not just to sit on it and say, yeah, I'm in charge of this, yeah, I'm in charge of that. Great. Let's do something with that. In any case, we are responsible to recognize authority in our lives and in the lives of those around us, and we need to take it seriously. Okay, exercising authority. Acts 1.8 says this, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Okay, most of us can quote that. Power, in this verse... Or dunamis means this, at least in one uh, book that I read. Possession of controlling influence, often understood as manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. Okay, this is different from authority. This is power. This is dynamite. But they go hand in hand. We want both. We need both. Just because we have the power to do something does not mean we have the authority to do it. Now, this may this may sound contradictory or wrong, but it's kind of like this. If I have a handgun, I go down to the store and I buy a handgun. Nice Glock 9mm. I have power now, don't I? I can literally shoot anyone I want to. But do I have the authority to do that? Obviously not. I don't. Yeah, thank God. I don't have the authority to shoot people. I have the power. I don't have the authority. Now, police, they carry guns. They have a little bit more authority in the exercising of of pulling that handgun and shooting it than I do. Still not a lot, but more than I have. Another example I get the keys to someone's car. Now I have the power to drive your car. But obviously not the authority, right? It would be a stolen vehicle. One country might have the power to invade and conquer another country. But that doesn't mean they have authority over their judicial proceedings. They have authority in their political process. As the United States, we have the power to to conquer quite a few countries in the world right now. But that doesn't mean we have authority. They're not consulting President Biden on matters of state. We have no authority over there. Within each of us lies the power to literally raise everyone in the whole world from the dead. If we have the Holy Ghost, we have the same power Jesus had. And within us, literally, we have the power to raise the entire planet from the dead. But do we have the authority to do that? Well, that's a question to be answered. Perhaps a submission, our problem is not an issue of power or ability, but one of authority. If something isn't happening. Because for all the power we have, we don't always have the authority to exercise it. I can give you a real quick, easy example. I have the power within me, Christ in me, the Holy Ghost, to call out and uh, provide my needs. Jesus fed the 5,000. I can produce stuff like that out of nothing. Same power. But do I have the authority to do that right now? Or more specifically, is the reason I'm wanting to do that, is God going to back me on that? Because here's the thing. Delegated authority. This is God's authority that I'm exercising. The power, we're all the same. We're all the same. We have the same power. Okay? exercising that power comes under authority. I may or I may not have the authority to exercise all of that power. Can I call a legion of angels down and and smite my foes? I don't have the authority to do that. I can call on God, and God can send a legion of angels. God hasn't given me authority over angels, at least not yet. We will judge angels. So there are some things, and I'm, I'm trying to think of examples to demonstrate my point. The power that we have is governed by the authority he gives us. Not in every area. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we all have the same power. We all have the same authority. In our scripture verse, the centurion, we find he understands authority, doesn't he? Which makes sense. He's a member of Rome. That right there, you would... would, For survival's sake, get a good grasp of authority real quick. He was a member of the Roman army. More specifically, he was a centurion in command of a hundred men. And he had people over him, as he stated. He's a man under authority, having people under him. He recognized authority in Jesus. He recognized the authority that Jesus had. He understood that Jesus' commands would be obeyed because he had the authority to issue them. And he understood that that would be true even though he wasn't physically present. I find that very fascinating. Because a lot of times when we, we have quite a bit more authority in person than from a distance. It kind of makes sense. If I'm right there at the house and I'm telling my kids to do something, there's there's a presence there. They, they, they see me. They can hear me. And so it's, it's a little bit more forceful. It's a little bit more hard to say no. But if I call them from another state or I text them, oh, it's a dad. That's a little bit harder to enforce authority that way. But the centurion understood that Jesus had the authority that when he said something, it was going to happen even if he wasn't there personally. He wasn't physically present and it still happened. In Matthew 10.1, we see that Jesus gave power to the twelve. In this case, power is ex, ex, excousia. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> what all you guys said. In this verse, there there I found all kinds of meanings to this, and they were all good, so I'm just going to read them all. A state of control over something, freedom of choice, a right, potential or resource to command, control or govern, capability, might, power, the right to control or command, authority, absolute power, warrant power executed or exercised by rulers or others in high position by virtue of their office, ruling power, official power, a bearer of ruling authority, uh, to include human authorities, officials, government, of transcendent rulers and functionaries, powers of the spirit world, and the sphere in which power is exercised, or a domain. Now, this word is quite a bit different than the power that we read about in Acts eight. This one means more Authority as we understand it today. In this verse, we see that God has given us the right to use the power he's given us. He's given us the authority to use it. We've been given the authority and the right to command. Command what? We'll answer that. We have been made a ruling authority in God. Okay. Now, Jesus gives to us, or delegates to us, a measure of his authority, and he expects us to exercise it in his behalf. Okay, specifically relating to spiritual warfare. And we read that in Matthew 10, 5 through 8. What did he give him power to do? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, all of those things. That's what he gave him authority to do. The power that they didn't have the power like we have. Not yet. Not in Matthew 10. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. Okay? Today, we have the Holy Ghost. We have a full experience with God. We have been baptized in Jesus' name. He's given us His name. He has given us legal uh, power of attorney. There we go. He's given us power of attorney. All of his resources are at our disposal to be used in his behalf for his purposes. Not mine. Not yours. I have access to the resources of heaven, but that doesn't mean I can just buy whatever I want. You understand what I'm saying? But what I'm using it to advance the kingdom of God God will meet whatever needs we have. And that's an interesting thing to think about. God has infinite resources. He has infinite resources. I think. You look like you're thinking about it. Pretty sure he has infinite resources. If he doesn't, he can make them. So either way, he's got infinite resources. Those resources are at our disposal. You guys stop me when I get out of the book. Okay? When it comes to advancing the kingdom of God, when it comes to the salvation of the lost, the perfection of the saints... Entering into and doing the will of God. We have infinite resources at our disposal. Understanding that, and being able to apply that, and live like that, I'm just now starting to wrap my head around that. Understanding that these infinite resources are at our disposal. That's just a thought. Um, I'm going to think more about that. Okay, he wants us, uh, the, the delegated authority he gives us, the power he gives us, he wants us, he expects us to exercise it. If we look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and Matthew chapter 10 together, and we'll look at some other verses here, It appears to me that the method of witness Jesus refers to in Acts 1 is exercising under the authority of God the power we receive from Him through the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, bear with me a minute here. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent the twelve out to preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the same commission, he gave them power over unclean spirits, power to heal, power to cast out devils, power, etc., etc. The two go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Okay? Matthew 16, verse 20, says this, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Acts 4, 29 and 30 says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. All through the Gospels, we find Jesus healing, casting out devils, raising the dead, All the while preaching, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is demonstrating, he's always demonstrating to us something. He's our perfect example in all things. As a church, the prescribed method is, we preach the gospel while God confirms the word, with signs following. We need to expect that while we're preaching the Word, while we're giving Bible studies, while we're giving our testimony, while we're ministering to others, that God is going to confirm His Word with signs following. We need to expect that. If we look at the first century church, I don't have the quote here, but there's a, a man by the name of Edward Gibbons. He's, a, I think, an 18th century historian, early 19th century. In any case, he, did, he wrote a massive work called The De- Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Some of you may have heard it. I doubt anyone here has read the whole thing because it's like about that thick of books, unabridged. Anyway, he has a part in there about the first century church. They were part of Rome. And this secular historian, he was he's not a Christian, wasn't a Christian, not anything now, but uh he wasn't a Christian. But he mentioned very specifically that in the first century church, miracles were commonplace. They were very common, they were expected to happen. People prayed, God answered. In the Azusa Street revivals, the, the birth of this, this modern movement, we read the same thing. God just moved. He just did things. All the time. We read about, uh, revivals that happened under Charles Finney, uh, all of these, these circuit preachers. Whole towns, entire towns, slain in the spirit. They had to close factories because no one could work. People were sobbing and weeping in the streets. I mean, it was amazing. Things that things that were like, we understand the words that you're saying, but I can't wrap my head around that. That's so far out of our experience. But the things God wants to do through us is absolutely amazing. No, we're probably not going to get that million-dollar mansion we're praying for. Uh, However, however, other things that we're praying for we're most definitely going to see. The things that will advance the kingdom of God. The things that are following the plan and will of God. Those things we are absolutely going to see. Not because we're worthy, not because we're good or smart enough, but because God answers prayer. Because it's God's perfect will to do so. That's why. God will work with us and he will confirm his word with signs following. Absolutely. It's biblical, it's scriptural, and it's the will of God. In conclusion, it's God's design and his perfect will for each child of God to exercise the power they've been given under the authority of God. And applied to spiritual warfare. When we come against the enemy, we don't have to debate scripture. We don't have to look at the original Greek or Hebrew to determine for sure whether or not he's given us authority over our enemy. He has. He's given us power. He's given us authority over all the ability of the enemy. There's nothing the enemy can do to you except God allows it. And if God allows it, it's for a really good reason. Otherwise, you have carte blanche. Do to him as seemeth good unto you. Tell him to shut up, shut your mouth, get out of here, bind him, command him to leave. Whatever you want to do. Just don't have a conversation with him. Don't listen to him. When we look through Scripture and we look through history, the things that God has done through His people, we can expect no less. We have the same Holy Ghost. We have the same name. Everything is the same. We need to, we need to begin to recognize the authority that God has given us and begin to exercise it. Now, when I say that, God's going to give us Opportunities to exercise that. Those aren't always fun. Opportunities. Okay? You know, it's like the man said, everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants the situation that we need a miracle for. So, unfortunately, we need those problems and those situations for God to work miracles. But, work He will. Amen. And right before we dismiss... I promised you that I would find this quote from Theodore Roosevelt. It still fits, although not as well as it would have last week. I'm going to read it because it's an awesome quote. This is Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, and this is a speech he gave, uh, April 23rd, 1910. It's known as the man in the arena. Some of you have heard, uh, some of this. I haven't read this, this whole thing before, but it goes it like this. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride in cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not even attempt. There is no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect than he who either really holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty, whether an achievement, or in that noble effort which, even if it fails, comes to second achievement. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds When Jesus comes again, I want to be found in the arena fighting the good fight. That's where I want to be. I want to have my sword out, my shield out. And if I can be a little bit graphic, I want it blooded. I want the blood of my enemy on the tip of my sword. Amen. Let's pray in dismissal. Lord Jesus. You're an awesome God. You're a great and a glorious King. Thank you, Jesus, for the ministration of the Holy Ghost in this place this evening. We look to you, Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to lead us, to direct us, to guide us into the areas you would have us to go. We will submit ourselves to you. We will give ourselves wholly and completely unto the Lord our God in all things, every area of our lives, As we do so, Lord, use us mightily. As we go and preach and teach your word, confirm your word with signs following. Work with us, I pray. Go with us as we go our separate ways. Minister to us this week. Provide all of our needs. Bring us back to the house of God at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.